we're both young. I mean, we wanted to live close to the city. And so we just decided, you know, going the single family route and making it work for us uh, would be the best yeah. way. It's mainly about sacrifices. I tell people all the time, house hacking is mainly how much are you willing to sacrifice right. of your, like your personal space to basically live for free. Welcome to the House Hacking Success Podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. What's up, everybody? It's your host, Bradley Labrie, and today I want to talk about the podcast sponsor, Rentometer. Whether you already have an established rental business or analyzing your first rental deal, you know that getting the rent right is crucial to lowering investment risk and optimizing your rental income. That's why the go-to source for rent data is Rentometer. Property investors and property managers rely on Rentometer because it is the fastest and easiest way to access quality rent data for addresses and neighborhoods anywhere in the United States. You can also research current, local comps, trends, and property data. Don't take our word for it. Rentometer analyzes over 500,000 rents per month and gets rave reviews from customers. My property manager, myself, and my clients all use Rentometer anytime we are looking to purchase a new property to know exactly what we can get for our properties. Go to Rentometer.com today to get your seven-day free trial and save up to 60%. Grow your rental business smarter with Rentometer. What's up, everybody? Real quick before we start the show. If you go down to the description or the show notes for this podcast episode, there's a link and that's going to send you to a page that you can download our free ebook on. This ebook is really good. Brad wrote it and it covers everything that you need to know about house hacking in a very structured order so you can put all the pieces together. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome to House Hacking Success. Today we have Dave and RV on the show. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. So this is the first show we've had with uh, wholesalers on here. I work with quite a few in my market. It's a great niche. It's it's one of the easy ways to get into real estate investing because it doesn't take your own money. It doesn't take your own credit. It's a way to network within the industry, uh, gain a list of, of flippers and, and buy and hold investors and really learn the business from an outside perspective without needing your own cash. So we really appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, uh, let's start with your house hacking story or, or maybe your origin stories into real estate. Tell us what brought you two together and, and then sort of the real estate aspect of all of that. Yeah. So this is RV. Um, Dave and I met in college uh, when we were living back in Buffalo, New York. I was just graduating at the time and was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. You know, I always thought it was going to be in the corporate world. So I started looking at jobs, applying probably at 100 positions that I could, you know, find online. And I didn't get any responses back whatsoever. So I was freaking out a little bit, you know, what I was like, well, what was I going to do? And I was talking to my dad on the phone and um, he actually brought up real estate to me and was like, you know, maybe look into it. I know people that do flips and make a lot of money. So see, maybe there's a way to get started. So that's what I did. I started researching. And then, you know, ever since then, I kind of got hooked in everything that I found online and uh, just kind of jumped in right after that. Yeah, for me, I started right after college. I was a student athlete in college. Um, right after college, I coached for a year down in Florida. And at that time, she bought, I think, one or two flips. And uh, she was having troubles managing her flips, basically, right. because the contractors would take advantage. So she asked me to come up for like a month or two, and I did in the summertime. And I saw the potential, and I saw how I can help grow the business. So I decided to leave that career, the coaching career behind, and just decided to hop into the real estate as well. Perfect. Let's go into that first house hack that you guys did. Kind of describe that, what that looked like and what it meant to you guys. 
My first year, I bought two flips and then I was looking for something else. I found this property that was right downtown Buffalo, you know, super great area. It was in terrible, terrible condition. Um, it had actually been listed on the MLS for over two years and nobody had touched it. And I don't know why, but I really loved the location and it was really up and coming area. At the time, it was a single. So when we looked at it, it was more like, all right, let's go in and flip it. But uh, once we bought the property, you know, I was talking to David at the time, I discovered online the house hacking where people could live in one uh, one space, you know, rent out the other or something like that. And because the location was so good, we could Airbnb it and make more than just regular rental income. So I told Dave, hey, why don't we like see if we can um, get this into a duplex because it was a huge property around like 2,500 square feet. The area was allowed for duplexes, so we were able, able to convert it. And um, from there, I mean, we did a lot of work into it and um, we stayed on one side and then we were Airbnb the backside. Perfect. So let's talk a little about that, uh, converting a property from uh, a single family to a duplex. Like, what was that process like going through the city? Surprisingly, surprisingly, it was pretty easy. Um, yeah. Honestly, we kind of looked in the area because those houses were pretty big. In total, the square footage of this house was about 3,000? No, 2,500. 2,500 square feet. Yeah. And we were looking around. There was a couple of big houses in the area, and we started asking around, and our neighbors started telling us that their Airbnb being a part of their house, and there's on both sides of our, our, our neighbors. So we started realizing there must be a way to separate one side from the other. So we went to the county, uh, we went to the county and they t even told us that at what time this was a triplex. From that point on, we knew we can easily convert it to a duplex. So it took about a week just by asking, filling out some paperwork and- yeah. We had to do mm -hmm. some architectural drawings um, just to make sure, you know, how it was gonna be divided, the city required that. Um, and I think that was like the hardest part of the process because we didn't realize how expensive architects and engineers are, mm -hmm. but we were able to find somebody that could kind of fit our budget at the time and you know do the drawing for us we submitted them to the city they approved everything right away and then we just kind of kept going from there perfect so the zoning was already in place which which made that process a lot easier and well, i know a lot of investors that actually just hunt out properties that have the particular zoning they're looking for and so yeah, it makes makes the process a lot easier yeah honestly we didn't know anything about zonings at the time so i think we kind of got lucky in the sense that yeah. the zoning allowed for two du for a duplex because we didn't do any of that research um, beforehand Perfect. So walk us through sort of beyond that. I mean, getting into your first place, probably coming close to living free, probably allowed you to uh, free up a lot of money to to reinvest or, or build the business that you have now. Talk a little bit through that. Yeah, so we bought the property at 90000 at the time. Um, as I said, it needed a lot of work. Uh, we kind of actually didn't even know how much work it needed, you know, until we started ripping everything apart. And I, walk, I walked through the house and I said, no way in hell we're, I'm buying this house. Like, we can't afford it. We can't, yeah. we don't have the money for the rehab. And while we're walking through the house, she whispers in my ear, Dave, we, we already bought the house. Like, it's already, we're, like, we're under contract. We're under contract. <laughs> can't go back. But it appraised at 250 So we got a mortgage on the property. Um, we actually went the conventional way. We didn't go the um, like the FHA way. So we just kind of took the easy way out and refinanced it to like 80% of ARB. Pulled that money out. We Airbnb the backside because it was a front and back duplex. And um, the backside was bringing around 1600 a month through Airbnb, which is only a bedroom apartment, which was great, honestly. Um, our mortgage was right at around 1200 um, you know, with all insurance and expenses, I think it added up to fifteen hundred. So we technically had a little bit extra every so every month or so because sometimes the Airbnb, you know, kind of goes up and down. And sometimes it was like two thousand a month. Sometimes it was yeah. fifteen or sixteen hundred. 
So most of the time we were, you know, up over our what our all our expenses were in. So we kind of that kind of even paid for our utilities, honestly. Yeah. So money we used from our first two flips. So the third, this house, house hack we did was going on while the two flips were finishing up. Yeah. With the profit from the two flips we did and being able to live for free for that one year, we decided to invest all that money into marketing. And that's yeah. where we st- kind of started doing the wholesaling part. So let's step back and touch on two things we sort of glazed over. Um, you talked about purchasing it for 90 and putting 90 into it. Talk through the financing side of that. And I'm sure a lot of people are interested. And then we'll go into the Airbnb side, like what that actually looks like for those that are wondering. Yeah, so honestly, at the time I didn't know about the FHA part where you there were certain loan programs where you can put only two and a half or you know three percent down so we just kind of went the route we knew which was a financial um, co- or conventional lending uh, we found a bank that was willing to work with us um, as I said they appraised it for 250 when we were doing the renovations and they just gave us 80 percent of that which I think ended up at around 180. Yeah. Uh, which we kind of pulled all our money back in terms of like purchase and rehab, uh, but we left around ten thousand in, which was a holding cost, you know, during the time. And the the funding part we used, uh, pro- we used a hard money lender. Yeah, to originally buy it. And right. that's the question people always ask is like, how do you get people to to lend it to you because you don't really have that much experience? Uh, what we kind of did to come up as actual business, we created a like a credibility packet, mm-hmm. um, listing our goals, our vision, and our past projects, what we have done, some uh, connections that we have so to keep uh that kind of that um that lender informed yeah and um make it seem like not make it seem but we are legit tell them that we are legit yeah no doubt about it uh brendan bennett from fund that flip was on the podcast earlier and um kind of spoke to that you know what what is happening through coronavirus and the fact that they're still lending and and you know building that credibility is important and uh hard money is is can be a great way to go, especially in a situation like you guys had. And the fact that you were able to pull the majority of your money out at the end. The Airbnb side, um, a lot of people talk about it or consider it. it. You know, it's obviously a very reputable business. What did that look like? Like at first going into it, you didn't know anything about it. Like what were those steps? How do you teach or, or talk to people considering it in a city like Buffalo across the country? Yeah, so honestly, in the beginning, everything was manual. We were even doing the cleaning ourselves. I mean, obviously, we designed the area and we furnished it ourselves. Um, however, you know, while doing it, it was a lot of work. Like it kind of needed you there constantly because you had turnovers every two to three days. So we had to find a way to systemize it. Um, we found some softwares online. Uh, the one we particularly used was IGMS. Uh, which was free for like your first two properties. So it worked great for us. It automated like the welcome messages, like the check-in, the checkouts and all that stuff. So it took a huge part out of our hands. Um, And then while doing the cleaning up for ourselves for a little bit, we decided to hire that out as well. And I think at the time we were charging like $60 for the cleaning and the lady we found was only charging us 35. So we had a little bit extra on top of that as well. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a fantastic way to go. And a lot of the times, like you said, you can actually make more money per month, uh, Airbnb. And if you create those systems and, you know, for a two hundred fifty thousand dollar property, the fact that, you know, you are uh, I believe you were a few hundred dollars, three or four hundred dollars over what your mortgage payment was. And like you said, that was the utility. And so yeah. you're legitimately uh, living for free and potentially even making a little bit of money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it covered all our insurance uh, taxes. We we're putting money away for that. And as you said, like utilities as well. So it was, I think, 
what really was great about it was the location because we were right downtown and everything was walkable at the time. So let's touch on maybe the mental hurdles on something like this, right? Because obviously there's a level of confidence you guys had, or maybe you're like me and I was naive to to all the things that could go wrong because I did a lot of similar things early on um, like you. I mean, you had two flips, you're taking on hard money. Uh, those are a lot of objections that people have. Uh, just talk to a little bit of that. Like, what yeah. what do you think it was that allowed you to have that level of confidence to do something like that? Honestly, Dave and I are opposites in that side. I'm a little bit like you where I'm naive and I'm like, you know what? We'll just figure it out while we're doing it. You know, what could go wrong, right? It's just a house. Yeah. Where Dave, on the other hand, before we even like bought it, he was asking me all these questions. I was like, Dave, I don't know. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. So I kind of convinced him <laughs> on the figuring out part. And then um, once we got it, I mean, there was a lot of issues that came up that we mm. weren't prepared. Um, we actually had to move out, out of my apartment at the time because my lease was up and the house had house wasn't ready so we had to live you know mid renovations yeah so we did a live and flip technically as well yeah, yeah. so it was definitely very challenging it yeah. also tested our relationship because this was the first house that we worked together and we were doing a lot of work like personally on the house as well so it was definitely very very challenging for us um, mentally and i think when we were done with that it was like we're never doing this never, again yeah. or at least at that level like we had to be more organized and more systemized for the next one yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, so talk about that with the relationship side of things. Like, what does that look like? You you said you got challenged a little bit. How did you overcome those challenges? In retrospect, how do you help uh, coach or, or speak to people trying to do this together with with a partner, uh, you know, like their significant other? It's 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 pretty um, it's crazy you ask because we get that question a lot. But imagine two people starting something but have no idea what they're doing but they still have a strong personality. So that was us from the start. Mm -hmm. We had all both had a strong personality of no, I'm, I'm right, you're wrong. And I think that's mm -hmm. how we um, clashed a lot. Um, for the first three months, first four months while we were in real estate, our relationship, our personal relationship was kind of non-existent because mm -hmm. everything we did, everything we talked about, we worked our, our butts off every day in real estate. Uh, so going back to that, we basically decided to give each other tasks. Say, Dave, you're fully responsible of the rehab side, analyzing uh, budgets for the rehabs and coming up with some exit strategies. And she has her own task when it comes to creating leads, managing the acquisition manager now. So creating that kind of puts in more confidence in, on each side. Yeah, separating the tasks was definitely, I think, key for us in terms of making our personal and business relationship work. And also the other thing, which is so simple, but yet again, it's like hard to do is communication. Perfect. So after that house act, did you go right into building the business of wholesaling or did you buy other properties? Kind of walk through your story beyond that house act. What's up, everybody? Let's take a quick minute and talk about rent ready. Are you new to house hacking and wondering how you find tenants and collect rent? especially while trying to maintain professional boundaries and a shared living space, RentReady can help you manage your house hack setup. For less than $9 a month, you can do it all. Fill rooms quickly with sites like Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist with a free professionally designed listing page. Find high quality tenants with TransUnion certified background checks, electronically send, signed, and store leases, and collect rent for the entire lease or set up month to month charges. For your tenants, they use RentReady's app to complete the application, sign their lease, and pay you rent. They can even submit maintenance requests from the app instead of knocking on your door. Even better, RentReady is unlimited, so you don't have to pay per unit or per tenant. Just one flat price, which puts more money in your pocket. 
And speaking of putting more money in your pocket, Rent Ready has given our listeners a discount to get 50% off any Rent Ready plan when you sign up using our special code SUCCESS at RentReady.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com using code SUCCESS for 50% off any Rent Ready plan. All right, let's get back to the episode. So after that house hack, did you go right into building the business of wholesaling or did you buy other properties? Kind of walk through your story beyond that house hack. So once we did that house hack and we lived in it for about three or four months, I believe, um, I actually came to visit here in Nashville and I really loved the area. I thought it had great potential in real estate and a lot of potential to make money because everything was developing. So um, one way or another, I convinced Dave to move here with me and we decided we wanted to do the same thing, house hack, you know, as we were doing there because we really loved it. I mean, we were living for free and we weren't ready at the time to be paying for for expenses, you know, mortgage and everything out of our pocket. So we looked, um, we started looking for properties down here. Uh, We actually were looking on the MLS with an agent because we didn't really know a lot and our time was restricted because we decided we were gonna move here in about like three months. So we were looking for duplexes in the beginning and everything was super expensive here, you know, not the same as the Buffalo market. And we decided on finding a single family property. It was like a three bedroom, two bath where we could maybe section off a part of the house and just Airbnb that as well. So we were able to find a single family property that, that had the master bedroom towards the um, mm-hmm. the backyard. So we were just able to, you know, kind of keep the door closed there, put like a deadlock, opened up uh, a wall to have an entrance towards the backyard and just kind of Airbnb that master yeah. bedroom and bath as like a little studio. We had to get a little creative and Nashville okay. luckily has the opportunity that most of the city, most of the houses in the city have an alley in the back. Yeah. So we figured the best way an Airbnb can be successful is surprisingly if the tenant or the the guest doesn't see the owner like they don't want to interact with the owner so we decided to put a back door in build a nice deck and they have their own entrance and their own parking in the back Perfect. So I, I love the fact that you guys are targeting uh, these properties to Airbnb. I, I think it's a very untapped market in in as far as like house hacking. A lot of people, uh, you know, attempt to just get a duplex, uh, but there are a lot of opportunity, and especially in the era of COVID, if you can find properties like you said sectioned off, uh, you know, it, it, in different sides of the house and stuff. A lot of people are looking to to get out of their particular areas, whether they're in a city and apartment, and they want to uh, go out into you know broader sections of the city and, and the outskirts. Um, I think it's a really un- tap market. So so I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And we're both young. I mean, we wanted to live close to the city and here in Nashville, the city is really expensive. So we just decided, you know, going the single family route and making it work for us uh, would be the best yeah. way. It's mainly about sacrifices. I tell people all the time, house hacking is mainly how much are you willing to sacrifice right. of your, like your personal space um, to basically live for free. Yeah. For sure. And and with, you know, we have a shortage of affordable housing. And so it, it really allows uh, for us to provide that to our tenants. Generally speaking, we provide better housing than than the traditional model because we take care of our property and we live there and uh, we put a lot more love into it when you when you buy a property. So, you know, that's why we're so passionate about it. I think it really helps our generation, you know, because it is a lot of housing is unaffordable for the beginner, especially young couples like yourself. And it really allows us to provide a great product. And like you said, it's sacrifice 
sacrifice. But if you look at it a long term, you know, you can still get to your end goal, but it's just a stepping stone to get there. Absolutely. And that's that's the mindset we had to shift to. So, I mean, it's not fine, like living in a smaller space where you had to share and this and that and you'll be quiet because the guests are sleeping or this and that. But like you said, we were focused on the bigger goal and the bigger vision. So we made that work. Perfect. So let's transition into that. The bigger goal, you have a company now. It's a wholesaling company. Describe a little bit of what that actually means. There might be a lot of people that don't know what what wholesaling actually is. So um, we decided that one of the best ways for us to, you know, keep achieving those goals that we said, like the bigger goal is to do a lot of these properties in scaling in a bigger scale. So one of those um, like easier strategies to get started into is wholesaling, which technically means you put a property under contract and you sell that contract to an end buyer that's an investor like ourselves. And they either want to flip it or keep it as a rental. Kind of going to your, your story your, with the wholesaling company, take it from starting from the bottom, probably just you two. Now you say you have an acquisitions manager, potentially other people within the, within the organization. Talk about what that looks like and what it's grown to. Yeah. So when we started, I mean, we were doing everything we could to try to get as many leads as we could with little money. So we tried, you know, cold calling, driving for dollars, trying to get some leads in. And it was a lot of practice for us as well to talk to these sellers, you know, off market, because that was our main goal to get the best deals possible for us was just going direct to seller instead of going through agents. So that's what we started doing. And then from there, we kind of transitioned a little bit into doing direct mailing. And we decided, you know, it, it's expensive. It's not easy to do or cheap to do direct mailing but we decided to put some money aside. And if we're consistent, focused, and we really work those leads, um, we were going to get something out of it. So that's what we did. We started getting deals out of it that we wholesaled. You know, we started with like one and another one the next month. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, again, another one. And then from there, we could build enough capital to do a lot more direct mailing and kind of double our budget on that. So to the point where we got into like two to three deals a month. And that's where, you know, we had a lot of leads in the system. And we decided that the best way was to hire an acquisitions manager to handle those leads for us. Perfect. So uh, so what kind of number? I mean, uh, I know I think David mentioned uh, 500 mailers a week, you know, and, and a percentage of those, you know, transition into leads. And then from there, I'm sure a smaller percentage transi- uh, transition into actual offers and accepted offers. What does that sort of look like? Um, so like he said, we were doing 500 a week in the beginning. And we learned like that the average was every 2,500 letters you sent or 2,000 to 2,500, you would get a deal. And honestly, that's exactly what happened with us in the Nashville market market as well. We sent about 2,500 letters. We got a deal um, and then we sent more letters and then we got another deal on those 2,500. And then we decided to kind of double that and mix in other forms of marketing like Google ads to try to get, you know, more more exposure for the business itself and the brand. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that was bringing in leads sporadically. So we were getting some deals off of um, Google ads. And then again, with marketing, we upped it to like 4,000 yeah. a month now um, at the time. And then we were getting, you know, two to three deals from there. Perfect. So kind of to the listeners out there, because most of them, the majority of people haven't gotten their first deal. A lot of them, uh, Dave, are a little bit more geared like yourself. I know my wife is is a lot, you know, a lot similar to you, Dave. A lot, you know, they just uh, they think everything through, which is a good thing. Right. Um, and and maybe aren't quite as naive as RV and I are uh, in regards to just going and do it and figuring it out. How do you advise them to approach wholesalers? Because I know majority of wholesalers sell directly to cash buyers and investors and things of that nature. And so it's challenging uh, for somebody who's trying to get an FHA sometimes to put somebody's under contract. How do you advise them to approach a couple like yourselves who have a, a really successful wholesaling company and are trying to find off market deals for themselves? It's it's tricky because most of the time when we close on a deal, we have about 10 days um, 
to find a buyer. But however, for example, now we have a, uh, a deal in our CRM and we're closing on it in March. So we have from now, it's on a contract with us right now, but we have till from now to March to find a buyer. So sometimes um, wholesalers have these properties where we have a month or two to find a buyer, potential buyer, or figure out what we're going to do with the property. So reaching out to wholesalers without people at the time is that's where you're going to get the best deals. That's where you're going to get the deals with the most meat on the bones. Right. And I think the only way to really do that is, you know, just find some wholesalers, talk to them about your goals. And then if they have a property like we have, you know, where it's going to take two or three months to even close because those happen, you know, all the time, maybe it could be a good fit for, you know, a house hacker to find something and get an FHA loan on it. So it's not super often, I'd say, but um, it can be doable to talk to as many wholesalers as you can to get that, um, to get into those leads. And then another way is I know a lot of wholesalers that do, you know, seller financing or some type of like long-term uh, financing, like creative stuff. So maybe there's a way that they can work with them either through creative financing or try to get an FHA loan or something like that, you know, to for try. Sure. For sure. Let's talk first to the people looking for you right in your market, somebody like that, trying to find a deal like that. How do you, how do you uh, advise them to approach wholesalers? Cause obviously wholesalers are not created equal. There are people that are good in the industry and, you know, there are a lot that aren't so good um, and, you know, their numbers may be wrong. They don't, you know, they don't project the right ARV or maybe it's inflated. They under project the amount of renovations. How do you uh, suggest they approach and try to find a good wholesaler to work with? So honestly, the way we founded wholesalers before we were wholesalers ourselves was, um, you know, the, the Craigslist way, which, you know, just kind of find there, you know, we buy houses and then a bunch of companies will show up. We also went to a lot of networking events before COVID hit um, anything, you know, in-person events we were going to and just networking as much as we could. And now with COVID, we were doing a lot of that stuff online, like through Facebook, um, through Facebook groups. I feel like every market has at least a real estate investing Facebook group and a lot of people, you know, network there. So even now, I mean, we ask a lot of questions on there like, hey, I'm looking for this type of property. Or for example, you can post a question on there and mm -hmm. say, I'm trying to house hack a property. If you think there's something that comes up, you know, in one of your leads that could fit this criteria, um, you know, reach out to us. And like you said, it's going to be trial and error. Not every wholesaler is good. And we've bought from wholesalers before that have brought us good deals. And then the same wholesaler will bring us bad deals. Yeah. So you just got to make sure you analyze your deals, you know, yourself. And just because one deal that they brought you is good doesn't mean that all of them are going to be good. And wholesalers are not complicated. I mean, I think the best way to approach them and to let them know you're serious is probably just by asking them to add them to your bias list. Um, yeah. A wholesaler, that's like, that's like a dream come true like somebody wants to be on my buyers list go ahead yeah. send them their email and then every month when they get deals they send out their deals to the buyers list cool so l let's talk now to the maybe the second half for audience that might be intrigued by wholesaling um mm -hmm. they're younger uh, a lot of we have we get a lot of people with like 1099 income right so it's challenging to qualify for for traditional financing the way that a lot of people with w2 income are uh, do so they they gravitate to wholesaling they like the idea they want to get in the industry they want to connect with people they want to be able to uh you know find properties for traditional investors how do you suggest somebody get involved in in this industry honestly uh first of all it depends on the position you're in like you either like you said maybe if you don't have a w2 and you're just at 1099 the best way is to try to do marketing like the cheapest way possible like we did in the beginning where you can either drive for dollars do call calling or messages you know pull some lists on PropStream or list which was which are like relatively cheap and then you can either call call those or text or even drive around the neighborhoods or try to even door knock um 
if, yeah. if that's in your personality because it takes a little bit of yeah. personality as well yeah we uh we tell people all the time like it kind of goes around with combines with financial situation and your personality yeah. because when when it comes to wholesaling it's more about creating leads mm -hmm. and you have inbound leads and outbound leads uh, we rely mainly now on um inbound leads People that we send out letters, we have like Facebook ads out and people call us because they might be interested. But if your personality is more outgoing and you have no hesitation to go knock on some doors or make calls every day, then by all means, that's your personality. And that's probably the the, the, the area where you're going to be more successful. In. Cool. And now, you know, those are getting leads. How about getting the right buyers list, right? Like there's, I'm sure in your industry, uh, and I talked to a lot of wholesalers, there, there are good potential buyers and there are people that are more just tire kickers, which are probably make up the majority of your list? How do you find the actual investors within your community? Yeah, so honestly, when it comes to um, the buyers list, the more the better, obviously, um, because it's a numbers game. Like, you know, you, you get a buyer this month, maybe the same buyer's not ready to purchase another property in a month. So you got to have volume um, for us, which honestly is super simple. We don't do anything, you know, out of this world. It's all about networking, talking to as many, you know, investors as we can, um, trying to find maybe cash buyers in your area. Like you'll see sometimes like bandit signs will call them and say, hey, if you're looking for market deals, I can put you on my list so just getting creative to talking to people um as much as you can honestly that's that's all it comes down to perfect kind of in retrospect now you've built up a portfolio yourself uh, how many flips have you done now you did those initial two yes yeah, so this year we did about 15 deals yeah. and it was a mixture of flips and wholesales which i think we did about five flips and the rest was uh wholesale deals probably yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Um, so what would you tell yourself, you know, several years ago when you were getting started? Like, what would you speak to your former younger self? What is some advice and wisdom you've learned along the way? Um, yeah, I would start off by, I would say, or relationship wise, um, if you're combining business and business with your personal relationship, make sure that you're on the same page because um, we've read stories about um, relationships getting ruined by the business side. And we one thing we told each other is that we're not going to have, uh, have that problem. And we did have that problem almost in the beginning. So being able to set aside tasks and make sure by setting aside tasks, you're going to trust each other more and the process is going to be way smoother. And for me, I'd say, um, you know, trust yourself in the process. Um, don't get frustrated. You know, things always are going to go wrong because it's just the way the business is. You know, you're going to find something that you didn't have in your budget or, you know, something comes up that you were not expecting. So just trust the process, you know, be calm about it and trust yourself as well that you're going to get off, you know, on the other side of it. Yeah, for sure. So let's ask this question because we like asking every guest. I mean, the 80-20 rule applies to a lot of things and it really seems to apply to investing, house hacking, I'm sure wholesaling. Uh, I'm certain that you guys probably get a lot of people reaching out to you wanting to join your team or become a wholesaler. But it seems like only a really small fraction, like the 20% actually execute on that, actually do what it takes to get into the industry. What separates people to actually decide to house hack and execute on that from those that just tire kick? Honestly, it just comes down to you, to your goals and your vision. Um, a lot of people make excuses and they think that they're valid excuses. Whereas, like you said, the 20%, they say, you know what, no matter what comes in my way and what excuses I have, I'm just going to overcome those and actually do it. And it also comes down to your why. You know, how strong is your why? Why are you doing this? Um, so, again, it just comes, I think it's mostly like an insight thing that if you really want it and you want it bad enough, you're going to find a way to do it. Perfect. And what is that why for you, for you both? Yeah, for us, honestly, it was just being able to 
uh, when we were, or I'll speak for myself, uh, when we, when I was growing up, it was always like, you know, we'd do something and it's like, okay, that's it because we don't have enough money to do the other thing. So I just, I was, this whole time I'm chasing of getting rid of, the, we don't have enough money to do to the next thing. So that's my why. Yeah, my why is kind of similar to that. Um, just knowing growing up um, that my dad and mom went to work every day from nine to five and didn't complain, didn't say anything, just made sure I got what I needed basically growing up. But at certain times it was, no, we can't spend money on this because we have to spend it a different way and they would explain that to me and growing like now have an opportunity to make a lot of money and i'm just being honest a lot of people i think a lot of people in the real estate world are shy to say it but i'm just trying to get rich we're trying to get rich yeah. where we can take care of our family and actually get the things that we could never we never even thought about getting when we were younger Perfect. And it sounds like you mentioned that you were an athlete in college. It sounds like a lot of, you know, a lot of this correlates. We had recently a professional NFL tight end on the podcast who had house hacked around all the cities. I know I played football in college and we met, we talked extensively in that podcast about the sort of mindset that sports cultivate and translate directly into investing. Um, and it sounds like a lot of that is correlating between your time playing college. And I'm not sure exactly what sport, but it sounds like a lot of those correlate. Yeah, absolutely. Dave is great at like organizing teams and training uh, when it comes to like, you know, when we hired our acquisitions manager, um, he's really good at that because he learned it from the sports side. And I've never really been involved in sports. I'm not sure of, you know, the environment and the team aspect of it, but he's great at doing that. So like you said, it really correlates to a lot of things in life. And what sport was that, Dave? Basketball. Basketball? I had no choice. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Yeah, we uh, we've actually met a lot of athletes. Uh, yeah. professional athletes that that actually house hack around the country. And that's something that I've turned my focus on is is highlighting that because most people, first of all, don't know the concept of house hacking. Second of all, uh, how common it is within the sports community and as well as the arts community. My uh, my co-host was a professional bowler and he had just run out of money. He's like, I can't bowl anymore. I got to figure out a way. He met me and, and I introduced him to house hacking and yeah. was able to continue bowling, you know? And so that's another thing that sometimes we don't highlight enough on the show is what it can provide on the back end like it allows you to live for free like you did in buffalo to chase whatever it is in your case it was your why becoming rich to provide for your family so you don't have to you know go and want um but it can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people absolutely you can use it a variety of different ways and i think a lot of people um do it they're just not conscious that it's called house hacking mm -hmm. for sure sometimes it's instinctive right to attempt to lower our expenses so uh what about books or podcasts uh specifically in in business and mindset not necessarily related to business or real estate, uh, what are those things that have sort of shaped your mindset or maybe your favorite of yours? So I'll tell you mine. Um, I actually read the E-Myth, but it was the real estate investing, um, what do they call it, like section or not section, a sequence. So that book, I read it when I was still starting and I was trying to get my mind around like, you know, how does this work either with house hacking or trying to build it as a business. So that was a great book um, to kind of think about it into working on a business instead of like you working it yourself. Yeah, I'm not really a reader like that. I'm trying to get to that point. But one book I read that was really good to me was uh, Where's My Cheese? Who Moved My or Cheese? Who Moved My Cheese? <laughs> Sorry, that book uh, really did a lot to me. And I'm really starting to like uh, Clubhouse a lot, to be honest. I know it's maybe in the early phases, but I'm learning a lot, little nuggets here and there. Um, it's definitely worth it. 
Yeah, for sure. That that book is a very easy read, too. It, it's short. You can probably read it in an afternoon. But a uh, great book. Clubhouse, you know, you and I were on, on earlier today talking. I think the vision of it is, you know, you had mentioned, RV, earlier, the fact that pre-COVID, you were going out and networking. Uh, Clubhouse, in a lot of ways, allows us to network within our community. You know, here in Metro Detroit, we have meetups on there for people within, within our local markets. And so uh, I think the idea, as you said, it's in early stages, but uh, it's, it's a way to network within, hopefully, our market. And for you guys, find potential, uh, you know, leads of people buying, uh, but then also just network together and become that form of house hacking or uh, podcasting and reading and things like that, as you mentioned, Dave. Yeah, for sure. What about uh, real estate specific podcast or book? Podcast. I mean, honestly, we all we always listen to Bigger Pockets as a podcast. Um, I think there's always great value there. Other real estate books, I've read a lot, uh, but honestly, not a lot like real estate related. Um, I've always been uh, worried about like trying to build it as a business instead of me working in it. So I've always read a lot of business books. Uh, but one of the main ones in real estate, as I said, was the E-Myth. And there's also some bigger pockets um, books that are out there that are great to get started. Um, I did read the house hacking book. I forgot the name of the author, but um, he worked in the bigger. Fred, Fred Curlop. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. good, good friend of mine. Yeah, so I read that when we're trying to house hack, so that definitely helped a lot as well. Um, I don't know, do you have any? Um, podcast, we should just kind of find out if you're trying to get in a wholesaling. Um, wholesale Hotline, I know there's a couple people on there. Guy, I forgot his name, forgive me, but TTP. Yeah, um, um, Jamil and uh, Pace Morby, they talk about some creative financing and yeah. things like that. So, I mean, we really started enjoying that. They go live, I think, on YouTube and they post it and stuff like that. So On podcast, yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So before we wrap up here, anything uh, you'd like to add within your story or, or for the listeners out there? Like I said, there's a lot of different people in different stages. Some people are going to be drawn to this from the wholesaling aspect. Some people are drawn to this because uh, they're trying to get into house hack or some are just trying to grow a business. So anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I'll say on my side, um, you know, just be focused on whatever your goal is. Um, uh, we get a lot of like s- uh, shiny object syndrome where, you know, somebody tells you about this and you're like kind of, oh, that's nice. You know, I'll jump into that because it can be tempting, you know, with the money aspect of it. But, you know, just think about your goals, stay focused and consistent on those. And honestly, I don't see a reason for you not to succeed if you're staying focused and consistent in what you're doing. Uh, for me, um, I'm trying to maybe bring in a more actionable step. Um, for us, when we started, money was kind of the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we solved it by just creating a little packet, a credibility packet. And we actually have that packet available in our bio for free for everybody that wants to use that as well for private lending. Yes. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Send us that over. We'll add it in the show notes. Uh, but I do like that RV, uh, the shiny object syndrome. That was something that um, people like you and I certainly have. Dave, you know, can probably relate as well. It's very easy, right? I mean, you know, uh, Bitcoin was a thing in 2017. It's a thing again, right? Not, you know, uh, there's just all sorts of things you can get yourself into. And wholesaling is a huge rabbit hole because there's a million different ways to go within it. Uh, there are a lot of different applications, you know, things that you can pay marketing styles as a, a realtor, you know, within a brokerage and stuff like that. It's very similar. There's just a lot of ways to do a lot of different things. And if you don't have a focus, like you said, on, on the priorities, it can be overwhelming and, and it can you can go in a lot of different ways and never really get rolling. And that's why we are so passionate about house hacking, because I think it 
it's the mental barrier to, to entry that is the bigger thing than anything to get into investing, you know, and the fact that you're moving into it anyway, I think lowers that barrier because if you're throwing 20% down on a place you don't move into, there's a lot of uh, mental hurdles you got to jump over. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, honestly, a lot of people, like you said, they, if you don't focus enough on one thing, then you're going to have like five different things that are just like kind of side hobbies. You're not going to be fully in one thing to try to do it as a and business. And then you have people asking, what, like, so what do you actually do? When you get that question of people asking, what do you actually do? Then you know you're kind of all over. All over the place. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So uh, for people looking to follow your story, follow up on wholesaling, uh, where can people find more about you? Uh, so I'm on Instagram at rvarvi.karkanji, um, C-A-R-K-A-N-J-I. And you can find my Instagram as well, dave.arlaud, A-R-L-A-U-D. You can also find us on our website. It's called moneymakingduo.com. Cool. So I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I know you added a lot of value. I'm certain that uh, we're going to get a great response to this. A lot of people reaching out, hopefully within the community. I love your story. I love the balance you two bring to each other as well. You know, And, and that seems to be the case with, with all these uh, duos, so to speak within the industry is that is that one is sort of more geared like RV and I that, you know, is a little bit yeah. naive to the to the downside, but then there's somebody that is focusing on the downside. Yeah. And there's a power to that yeah. because you need to be able to have a focus on not only the upside to situations, but also minimizing the risk and the downside. And uh, and that's sort of the power within it if you're going to grow something uh, sustainable. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for having us again. Absolutely. Uh, you guys have a great day. Thanks. Thank you, too. You too.